Welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I'm your host for this week's episode, Ryan Phillips. And with me today, I've got an old college buddy, actually. Josh and I uh, went to college together, Indiana University. He has been, since 2013, has been the uh, ESPN's NFL Nation reporter for the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, a lot going on there this week, so I'm glad that he could uh, take time out to talk to us. Uh, Josh, thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. This is... uh... This is great. You know, it's like, it's, it's cool to see people do cool things I went to college with. And obviously you are one of them. So it's kind of cool that we could reunite like this. Yeah, it is really interesting all these years later to kind of reconnect on this. Um, you know, all those days, the Indian daily student newsroom. Uh, and now we're doing this uh, interviewing you outside of Starbucks in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. um, so Josh, first I want to ask you, and I asked this of all the guests that come on um, because my sort of premise with sports media is you don't get into this job for money or fame. Those things might come, but you get into it because you love sports and you love what you do. At what point in your life did you know this was what you wanted to do? Oh, let me back up. If I had known how little money I would be making, <laughs> I would have been making for most of my career. I probably would have done something else with my life. Um, when did I know? It's a good question. So my parents knew before I did, actually. And the story in the family goes, in 1993, during the first, the coverage of the first World Trade Center bombing, I sat in front of the news and wrote my own stories. And they were like, we might be onto something with this. And basically from there, they kind of stoked that flame, right? They went, my, we always got, I lived in Minneapolis, and we got the Star Tribune delivered every day. And then my dad would bring home the USA today. So I was getting a local perspective and a national perspective on sports all over the world, all over the country. And I just, I devoured it. Like I devoured that sports section covered or cover to cover. Um, and then they went ahead and got me a subscription to sports Trade for kids. And I hated it, hated it. <laughs> and my dad was getting the big SI and I literally like it, it lasted one year and you know, I kept all like the cards that came inside of it. And just never read the magazine. And they're like, well, it's a waste of money. And I would just read my dad. So I just read, I mean, I read my dad's SI. He'd get it. We, they come on a Thursday. So he'd read it like, you know, over the weekend. Then I'd get it early the next week. I was like a routine for us. Um, and it, it really started to, you know, really become something that I was super interested in. And like junior high. And I wrote for my junior high newspaper in ninth grade. And then in high school, we were 10th, 11th, and 12th. I was the only sophomore on the student paper. And that's when I was kind of like, this could be something I can do for a living. Um, and then from there, you know, like I picked a college based on the school of journalism and um, went to IU, obviously. And yeah, just kind of once I got there, you know, it probably I, I think when I for sure knew like this is what I wanted to do, like like or this is what I was going to do was probably like freshman, sophomore year when I was writing for the Indiana Daily Student. I was like, yeah, there's, there's no better job in the world besides being a pro athlete. Like this is this is it. Like this is the job for me. What was it that made you fall in love with sports? Was there a team? Was there a moment? Was there like you know time with your dad or something like? What made you fall in love with sports? The first memory you have of of being in love with sports? Yeah. So my dad and my grandfather were huge guys, and um, I, I think this naturally got passed down to me. And I so I grew up in my you know I like to say you know every person has their you know every sports fan has their formative years where they kind of develop their their fandom for a specific team and i was living in, in new york at the time 
So I became a Mets fan, like a diehard Mets fan as a kid. I would listen to all the um, games on WFAN. Like I would go to bed with that to them. I listened to the morning show, like Mike and the Mad Dog, like formed my sports like passions, like as a kid. And that really hasn't changed. Um, So that's kind of where it started. Um, My first memory of a game, I have to look back what year it was, but it was a Mets game and it was Mets. Reds, Mets, Reds, or Mets, Phillies, and Tim Tuffle got hit in the back by a pitch. He was trying to call timeout, call call time, and he turned his back and it got plunked in the middle of the back. And the the bench is empty. It was a brawl, my first baseball game. And I'm like, How do you forget that? Oh, How do I forget that? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but then like I became like a Knicks fan too. You know, I was I was a big baseball and basketball guy. And, like, I remember, like, I started playing basketball when I was four years old. So, I mean, from a really young age, sports were a part of my life. I had the hoop in, the, in the, my room, like, the, you know, the Fisher-Price hoop, all that stuff. Um, and then, like, from there, it just took off. I was, you know, a jersey-wearing, T-shirt and hat-wearing kid, you know, up until I started realizing that I could wear nicer clothes in high school. <laughs> oh, it took it, – it wasn't it wasn't college. It was high school. You figured that out. All right. I, I know and some people was, didn't take – It was take sophomore year high school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you go to Indiana. Uh, you meet me. Big moment in your life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you – grad- Yeah. <laughs> you graduate. Where, where do you go? Right after graduation, what's next after that? Yeah. So three weeks after graduation, I moved actually out here to Phoenix. I um, – it was a, I was a Pulliam fellow for the Arizona Republic. It was basically an internship. It's a glorified name of an internship. It was supposed to be like uh, eight, 10 weeks. And I ended up doing that until, so it was like beginning of June of 2005. And I did that till about March because I left the internship to go work for MLB.com for a month and cover spring training. Oh, nice. And that's when I realized that I absolutely hated covering baseball. Just hated it. It was like, I feel like, I, I, I grew out of love with baseball as I got older. And I feel like to be like a baseball beat writer, you have to actually love the sport. And I like, I didn't love it enough to get there five, six, seven hours before first pitch to do the manager, to do the, you know, batting practice, the clubhouse, you know, another, you know, all these different interview sessions. Like I just every didn't day, like basically. the sport every, and every day, right. It's an everyday gig. Like, or it's a grind. It's an everyday grind is what I should say. Like, and I just didn't love the sport enough. So it was kind of good. Like, it was a cool experience. Like, I remember walking into the um, San Francisco Giants clubhouse. This is 2006 in Scottsdale. And there's Barry Bonds, like, in the middle of everything. And I'm like, you're not not on steroids. Like, it was <laughs> – and, and what's crazy is, like, so for whatever reason, this is totally random, but, like, when I was living in New York, most of the Mets games I went to were against the Pirates. When in the the outfield was well, two thirds of the outfield were were Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla. So like I watched Barry Bonds for years, just up totally close. out of like <laughs> up close, like and, and literally up close because we would be sitting in the outfield and like he would be right there. And I'm like, you don't look anything like the guy that I watched for years in Pittsburgh. Like it didn't take a rocket science to figure that out. But I digress. So. um did that yeah worked for mlb.com for a month and that's when i was kind of like all right let me just cross baseball off my list like i never want to cover you know pro baseball not my thing um so moved home back to minnesota with my parents for a few months while the job hunt kind of got going and 
this is like, you know, this is kind of when new favorites are starting to shift a little bit. Like the, the beginning of the end has just begun. So jobs weren't great. Money wasn't, or jobs weren't, there weren't a lot available. Money wasn't great. Ended up landing a job in Panama City, Florida at the News Herald down there. Small 30,000 circulation paper. Um, got that job covered um, high school sports, community sports, really, really good junior college basketball, which is a pleasant surprise. Um, and then I was our University of Florida beat writer and beat is very loose there because we're far from Gainesville. Didn't really, I went to like three games a year, like, but the South is such, I mean, football is such a religion in the South that we had so many local fans that we needed to provide, provide some sort of coverage. So, you know, like, like, like conference calls, stuff like that, you know, a couple of features in there, but um, really kind of, you know, cut my teeth in high school, local sports, junior college sports. Um, and it was kind of the best thing ever. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I was bad. I was really bad back then. And, you know, I got some great, you know, coaching, editing, and it kind of helped form me into, you know, the writer and reporter that I, that I am uh, today. Uh, where did you go after that? Cause I know you ended that in like July of 2010. I think. It's yeah. Nice. Okay. So I'll, yeah, I'll just go through. So um, left there in July, 2010. And I got, I became the uh, sports enterprise writer at the times of Northwest Indiana. And that was in Munster, Indiana right outside Chicago, um, did that for a year and went from there, got my master's actually in sports journalism at what was then the National Sports Journalism Center at IUPUI. Now, mm-hmm. being an IU guy, I don't love saying the PU part of it. So <laughs> just say it's, an, it's a I mean, master's degree, from IU. <laughs> it, it, yeah, and it, it is. Like my, my degree is an Indiana degree. So um, did that for a year. So now we are in the 11-12 school year. Um, and that was an incredible experience, right? Like I had done some some bigger events up in uh, Northwest Indiana, covered a ton of college basketball, did a women's final four, um, NCAA tournament, conference tournament, stuff like that. Covered a lot of Notre Dame football, stuff like that. And then once I, when I was in grad school, it was a year, uh, the Super Bowl was in Indy. And it was just, Indy's such a great sports city. So there's a lot yes. of opportunities to cover the Big Ten, the inaugural Big Ten Championship game, Big Ten Tournament, um, the Super Bowl. What else did I cover that year? Just uh, end up covering the final Final Four in New Orleans, which was part of the program that went to the Kentucky Derby, Indy 500, all sorts of big major. You were basically games. there in, in in school at the perfect year in India. In perfect Indiana, year. The perfect yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. So um, through that program, I met someone at ESPN and kind of stayed in touch with him. Well, after school, I had two job offers. One was to be a the third Padres beat writer for the uh, San Diego Union Tribune. And then one was to be a second writer for the Arizona Cardinals website. Um, and I had reconnected, actually, with um, someone from the Arizona media at the Super Bowl. And he kind of put me in touch with those guys, you know, or give them my name and whatever. He was uh, that, that, that connection point. Um and I was torn, right? I wanted to go work for a newspaper. I was like, living in San Diego would be freaking awesome, as you know. I can attest. But it like, is awesome. <laughs> you can attest to that, right, right? But, like, when they gave me the offer, I was like, this is what you're going to pay someone to live in San Diego? Like, it was ridiculous. And they had this whole grand master plan of hiring, like, all these people to try to make this, like, make this, like, the USA Today West, like, blow it out. And that got me a little skeptical because at that point, like newspapers had really changed, right? Like part of the reason why I left the Times Northwest Indiana was we kept losing people, but we never kept, we never replaced them. 
So I was it's pretty common. Yeah. It, yeah, it was pretty good. Like I was hired to be a writer four days a week there and be a copy editor one day a week. They gave me Sundays, which was easy because everything comes prepackaged, like the NFL stuff, all that stuff, like easy to do. I'm not a copy editor. I'm a writer. Well, by the end of my time there, we lost so many people that I was cop. They had me copied in like four or five days a week. I'm like, this is not what day. you signed up for. So not what I signed up for. So um, when I was, you know, weighing my job options, it was, all right, cover the, be the third baseball beat or beat writer, I guess, which was fine because I didn't have to do the day-to-day stuff, which I loved. Um, or, or make like little money living in a great city. That's very expensive, as, as you know. Or go live in Arizona and work for a team. And I was like, you know what? Like, I countered to both of them. And they, and I think this is an important lesson for anyone, you know, for kids who are listening, I guess kids, like up and coming, you know, students, like feel like always counter, like always come back with an offer that you think is fair. The worst they're going to say is no. And the best they're going to say is yes. And most likely they'll meet you somewhere in between. And that's what the Cardinals did. They came back with more money and moving expenses. And the Union Tribune was like, no. Now. like this is a take or leave it so i left it went to go work with the cardinals for a year wrote for their website fascinating experience just wasn't for me i uh um, yeah it's a different world it working was, working for the team versus being an outside guy very different world very different world and that was the season where arizona started four and oh and then lost their next nine and finished five and eleven and fired ken wisenhoff and like things were weird right it was it was a weird time to be working for a team because they it was so bad that like, we couldn't really write how bad it was. Like we had to find the bright spot in everything. I remember there's a game, Arizona lost 58, nothing to Seattle. They're like, find the bright spot. I'm like, there's no bright spot. It was like <laughs> three good punts we wrote about. I mean, it was crazy. Like it was crazy. And I just, it just wasn't a good fit. And um, so I was there for a full calendar year, almost a full calendar year, but towards kind of like spring of this is 2013 or at, I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to leave this job. I already made up my mind. And I was like, I'm going to go move to New York and work, write for magazines. And that was kind of like the dream. I wanted to be a long form writer at that point. And I'd always want to live in Manhattan. So I was like, we're just going to do this. And I, I set up freelance gigs. I set up housing. Like I was ready to go. And I said to myself, you know, I'll stay for you know a few more weeks, get a paycheck or two more, get some money in my pocket and let's go to New York. And I had reached out to a contact of mine at ESPN who um, used to work in the, in the magazine world in New York. And I said, hey, like, this is what I'm doing. What's your best advice? And he was like, send me your resume and some clips. We're starting this thing called NFL Nation um, at ESPN. And we're looking for a Cardinals writer. And I'm like, and I, I don't want to ask for help. I was like, I just want to move to New York. And he's like, no, I'm not going to help you. I'm, just, I'm not going to give you advice. I'm just going to take your resume and clips. I said, fine. A few weeks later, ESPN called. It was an eight-week interview process. I was, it was crazy. I was interviewing during training camp. Like, I'm working for the team on the phone in the corner of ESPN interviewing. And they hired me uh, literally a week before the 2013 season, and I have been with them ever since. Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. So, You've got this freelance situation set up in New York that you're preparing and you start getting the calls in the interview process from, from ESPN. Do you just put all that on hold? Like it's ESPN. I'm going to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to go. To, yeah. I mean, is that the, cause it's, it's one of the dreams people have is to work for an outlet like that. Oh, totally. It was. So what happened was I'd reach out to all these people that I had met through the years and who are 
you know, either work for newspapers or magazines in New York. And it was all like, yeah, we have stuff for you. Let me know when you're here, we'll give it to you. So it's not like I had to be like, hey, let's hold off on this. It was more like, if I never call, they, I just, you know, it wouldn't be an issue. So it was funny. I was actually helping my dad paint our deck or their deck in Minneapolis. I was on vacation when the call came in from Bristol. And I was like, it's an 860 number. And, you know, it came up with Bristol, Connecticut. And I'm like, well, I know what that means. Interesting. <laughs> yep. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was tough because like, obviously you don't want to ever say no to ESPN, but like I've had this lifelong dream living in New York. So I was like, let's just see where it goes. Like I wasn't getting my hopes up too high, but and obviously it worked out. So worked yeah, you seem to be doing pretty good for yourself. So you're the only NFL nation reporter ever for, for the Cardinals out there. Um, yeah. I will say in your time there, you've had a very diverse experience with the Cardinals. I mean, they, you know, since 2013 and obviously 2012, but you had Bruce, you covered Bruce Arians, who's a lot of fun, uh, two, of fun. two playoff runs, including an NFC championship. And then it yeah. falls off a cliff kind of there. They were sort of average and then really bad the three and 13. Then you get Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury where we're at now. And then that slow build over three years, they've sort of improved every year. And, uh, you know, I read your article this week. You, you had an article uh, that was great that we will link in the, the post to this podcast uh, about has have they reached their ceiling with Cliff Kingsbury? And you talk in there about how they've sort of collapsed at the end of the season in each of his first three years. And that was a pattern at Texas Tech as well. Um, sort of what's your your thesis on that from what you've seen up close? Do you think that this is a situation where maybe he's built it up and it needs to be somebody else to take it over the finish line? Yes. I think we're getting to that point. I do. I think we're getting to that point. I've been comparing it a lot to the 1989 Chicago Bulls, right? Doug Collins sure. gets them to the or the, I don't see, the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they weren't supposed to get there, right? I think I read they finished fifth in the in the whatever their division was that year. And they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, lose to the Pistons. For whatever reason, Doug Collins gets fired. They hire some guy named Phil Jackson, and the rest is history. So I think to some degree, the Cardinals might need to take a step back and say, do we need our own Phil Jackson? Like, is this that point? Because Cliff, like you, like, like you brought up, you know, Cliff's streak of having bad second half, or second half slides is now at nine straight years. He's really good in the first seven games. And anything after that just, just does not live up to that same standard. And as an organization, you – you know, you have to first off. You have to give Cliff Kingsbury a lot of credit. He he inherited a three-win team, and he took him to five wins, eight wins, and eleven years in three consecutive years. I think I think already he's the fourth coach in team history to have year-over-year improvement in three straight years. And this is hard in general in the NFL, so you got to give him credit for that. But at the same time, like last year should have been a ten-win, if not more, season, and they should have been in the playoff. This year should have been a 13, 14, maybe fifteen-win season. And they should have probably been the one number one overall seed and an NFC West champion. So yeah, it's easy to forget they started all, seven and zero. I mean, it's easy to forget. That. Yeah. yeah, crop the NFL for seven weeks. Like they were really, really good. They're playing great football. They're averaging over thirty points a game. Like this was the team to beat. And then they just the bottom fell out again. Um, you know, and and I, I think at some point the, the, the franchise needs to say, okay, has Cliff done what he could do with this team? Sure, there are injuries, but you're telling me that the only way Cliff Kingsbury can win is if, is if he has a full, healthy roster. Well, that's never going to happen in the NFL. So yeah. You have to be able to adapt and, 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 and make do with the players you have and win. 
And a lot of other coaches do that. So if he can't do that, I think this team needs to start saying, okay, do we give him one more year and see how that goes? And if the same thing happens, then you pull the plug or you just move on now, cut your losses, and let's find someone who can get Kyler Murray from a, you know, the Pro Bowl or the MVP conversation to an actual MVP trophy. What, I mean, if you had to put odds on it, what do you think the odd, the, you know, the percentage that he gets let go this offseason? Uh, probably pretty slim. Probably pretty slim. I do know that they're, if they, if he were to, to get let go, I think the Cardinals would have their eye on someone in particular who's part of this free agency of coaches right now. Um, but I, I don't, I don't expect it to happen. But at the same time, it's not going to shock me if it, if it does. Kyler Murray came into the league. A lot of question marks about him, his size, all of that stuff. People who watched him knew the kid's actually got a really big arm for his size, and he's really accurate. He's super athletic. He can run. But, of course, whenever anybody comes in who's under six feet tall, there's going to be questions about them at the quarterback position. He's just a ridiculous talent. What have you seen? I mean, is it? I mean, you get to watch him every week, which I'm jealous, but but what have you seen uh, from him that that leads you to believe that he is the next guy you put, I mean, yeah, you didn't compare him to Michael Jordan, but you put him in that, in that sort of comparison. Right. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what have you seen? What impresses you the most with him? Well, just to use your word, what would you say? Incredible talent. Like he, he is, he's an absolutely incredible individual talent. Um, and you know, I've watched Russell Wilson twice a season since 2012. He has that same – he might be better physically than Russell Wilson. But I think what Kyler is missing are kind of those intangibles that a guy like Russell Wilson has. He, he still needs to improve his body language. He still needs to improve kind of his leadership, on-field leadership. He's a very quiet kid by nature. And that needs to change if you're going to be the face of a franchise and be that, that leader on, on, on the field as a quarterback. Now, that's what he needs to work on. What the kid does well is a ton, right? He has an incredible arm. You know, I, I think too many times we see quarterbacks who can run and they're automatically labeled a mobile quarterback. Well, Kyler can run and he is a mobile quarterback, but he's a pass quarterback first. Mm-hmm. And they I don't, don't use his legs enough. enough. They, they almost don't use his legs totally. enough. Right. And he, after last season, that was a big issue for him he did not want to he wanted his legs and the the direct word he used was he wanted to be used as a luxury and they might have taken that to the extreme this year um he can make a lot of plays happen he can he can make defenses think more than probably most quarterbacks in the nfl i'd probably put him up there with lamar jackson as maybe a little josh allen but him and lamar jackson can make a defense think more than any other quarterback i think in the league because you don't know what he's going to do. He basically gives you, you know, three options, well, four options on every play. Well, three. You can run the ball, you can pass the ball, or you can hand the ball off. Like, that makes everyone, I mean, that, that has to keep, that keeps the defense honest, it keeps the defense on its toes. But he can make every throw in the book, and he can make them from all these different arm angles, which he perfected as a baseball player. Um, he needs to show that he can play at this high, high level throughout a whole season, and he can put a team on his back. And once he could do that, I, I don't want to say there's no stopping him, because I think he's one really, really, really big hit away from getting really hurt, because he at is so time, small. Sure. At any time. And he does, you know, when he's out in the open field, 
all he has to do is take his legs out or go high and knock his – I mean, he can knock, they, they can knock him out of a game very easily because of how he – because of how small he is. Um, with all that out of, the, out, of the, out, of, out of the equation for now, like, he could really be uh, a foundational quarterback for this franchise for a long time if he could figure out a way to kind of put guys on his shoulders, put a team on his shoulders, and win games regardless of the situation. Yeah, and I think that it's worth noting that, you know, he's been the quarterback in those three years for Cliff Kingsbury where things have collapsed at the end of the season as well. And, and it feels like yes. that team is way too talented, as you mentioned, to have that kind of stuff happen. They're way too talented to show up like they did in that playoff game against the Rams. Like, they should be going toe-to-toe right. with the Rams, not getting smashed. Um, right. so you, love, you love covering Kyler Murray. I can just tell by the way you talk about it. Who's your favorite athlete you've covered over the years? Even if it was just one time. Yeah. Oh, just one time. Like going like that. Hmm. I would say the one guy that I covered the the one guy I enjoyed covering the most was Tyron Matthew. Hmm. The honey badger. He um I mean his story is fantastic. I mean that was that that started you start with that. But he was just always he accepted it. He accepted that that was his story. That was his journey. And I think that and he did not mind talking about it. I think too many guys get to the NFL and they're like, oh, I'm not talking about the past. I'm not doing this. I don't, you know, or they they come out of college, especially guys in the SEC, the high, the, the top tier of the SEC, and they're too sanitized, right? They don't have any personality because they either weren't allowed to, to talk in college or they were very told very specifically what to say, what not to say, like, Tyron Matthew was his own person, right? He, he, he said what he wanted to say, when he wanted to say it. And he was open. He was always open to talking about anything at you know at any time. You could shoot the bull with him. Like by far, probably one of my favorite athletes. Probably my favorite Cardinal to cover. Um, you know, but I mean, I've covered a lot, a lot of fun. Like Diana Trazi, getting to know her has been absolutely fantastic. Like she is. You want to talk about real? Like that woman will not hold back anything. In that same regard. Maybe one of my favorite interviews has been Sue Bird. Like she has no filter, and like she's like, "I'm I'm Sue Bird. Like I've done all this. I don't need to sugarcoat anything." Like fantastic. Um, As a journalist, yeah, that's been... that's like honey for a journalist. I mean, it's it, it, because it's it we get so much canned, you know, yeah. coach speak and player speak, and and just having somebody who's real is is always just. I mean, it's like it, it wakes you up almost. It was great. And like, I mean, and, and I talked to Sue for story and Diana. So like I already had Diana, like just like opening up a vein to me and talking about all these things. And then Sue's like, well, she's full of shit here. This isn't true. Like all this stuff. And I'm like, this is gold. Like literally like this, it was, it was, it was awesome. But yeah, those three are my, are my top three. Awesome. Uh, do you have a, a favorite event you've covered? You've got to do a probably lot. The Kentucky Derby, probably the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously the horse you can't talk to the horses, but like, <laughs> I mean, you could, but you're not going to get much. You could. Back. They're not going to talk back, right, right, right. Um, but like, you get to watch, and I don't know how it is now. I covered it not ten years ago. This is crazy. Um, you can watch it on the track, and like, you, I think most people like when they hear horsepower, they think it's like a term from like a Ford commercial, but like, literal horsepower is like standing on the on the track at Dursel Downs and feeling them come around the turn down the home stretch and you're just like like 20 of the greatest three-year-olds three-year-old horses in the, in the world like 
it, that was unbelievable. Like that was one of the coolest moments of my life. Forget my my you know my sports journals in life. Like just like just being there and like feeling that go by like absolutely crazy. You know, like the pop and circumstance. Like I love history, I love tradition. And, like it doesn't get much better than than Churchill Downs on the first Saturday in May and like just the whole thing. Like, I wore a bow tie. Like I got real into it, and it was just it was just so awesome. Yeah, I went to Indiana. I lived in Indiana for nine years and never did that. And I regret it every time, every year it comes around. You're so close. I know. I've got I've got to fly in and do that sometime now. It's a much tougher trip, yeah. but I will do it. Uh, Josh, <laughs> as always, it's great to talk personally, but professionally, it was awesome to interview you today. Uh, everybody follow Josh at ESPN, uh, NFL Nation Cardinals website. Uh, at You can follow him on as <laughs> follow him at at Josh Weinfuss on Twitter, W-E-I-N-F-U-S-S. He's a great dude, great writer, always fun to have him on, always fun to talk to him. And uh, thanks for coming by today, Josh. Everybody, thank you for listening. We'll be back with another Press Pass soon. Uh, Until then, keep it tuned to the big lead for all the latest in sports. Peace.